Welcome everyone to the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna. We got bloopers already. And we're leaving it in. <laughs> we're definitely leaving that in there. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Okay. Technology at its best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, welcome everyone. This is uh, the the initial sort of kickoff episode of whatever podcast we want this to be called uh, later down the road. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, An offshoot affiliate project with the uh, Living and Dying in Kansas uh, Facebook page where we just wanted to to play around with other mediums, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, big picture here is like there's just some stuff that, that we want to talk about and there's not necessarily a, a really good place to do that and to share that with other people in the community so let's just do it ourselves yeah so um why don't we why don't we tell people who we are <coughs> shall i go first sure all right well i'm brandon Irwin. i work at k-state university in the department of kinesiology all opinions on my own um i run the healthy communities laboratory um Many of you might know me as the guy, uh, one of the guys who just got arrested in Washington, D.C. for this healthcare protest where we went to uh, the senator's offices and uh, Senator Moran and, and Roberts and did some little civil disobedience, raised some ruckus, uh, got some attention for it, and we'll probably end up talking about that. But uh, also just somebody who lives in Manhattan, Kansas, and just wants you know this place to be a, 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 a good place for everybody to live work and play and just trying to figure out how to do that cool um i'm jess kerr um i'm also uh do a little bit of teaching here uh at the university but um uh, my main role in town is uh doing grassroots uh community organizing work with map j and um various other kind of social justice and civic uh, engagement organizations and yeah going to retain those opinions as my own as well. Yeah. Um, Brandon and uh, I were uh, cohorts along with our, our other partner, Nate Pathlick, um, on the DC trip and project. And we really just love the energy that that moment created and um, that lots of people are talking about healthcare and health equity right now in town. Yeah. And we'll, we'll probably get Nate on here pretty soon too, I would, I would expect. Yeah, absolutely. Nate's the best. Yeah. Um, and with us today, we actually have a guest. We have um, Dr. Steve Smothers, uh, who is the Associate Director of the A.Q. Miller School of Journalism and Mass Communications at Kansas State University. Um, and we've brought him here today to talk a little bit about his specialty, which is community journalism, and particularly uh, the central role of media as um, a community uh, force and um, some of the changes that are happening um, at this present moment um, within our space in particular. Um, so we're so lucky to have you. Thanks well, for thank joining us. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. And I'm, I'm very honored. I, I think that this is a, a very, very worthwhile project. And for, for reasons I'll talk about later, I think it's very important that we discuss some of these issues relating to how people get their news and information. Because we are now starting to see some real effects in communities that are no longer served by centralized news media. And so we'll talk about that. Yeah, maybe that's a good place to start because, um, and, and I was just reading one of these, uh, I think it was a Pew poll mm -hmm. the other day, mm -hmm. you know, that, and, the, and they, the, the, the Pew Research Center keeps track of, you know, like where and how people get their information, um, and particularly in this poll that they did, like where they where they get their information about the community that they live in, right? And mm -hmm. so, it, it which, you know, and, and another way to say that is, this is how people learn about the place that they live in, mm -hmm. right? Like what's going on around them, and you know, allowing them to making, uh, allowing them to make more informed decisions about how they spend their time, and um, you know, what kinds of activities they engage or don't engage in in the community, mm -hmm. right? Like how, how do you be in community here? And so that poll, um, you know, of course there's a number of different ways that people get their information. Newspapers, however, is still, the for most people on most issues is the primary source of information. Um, there's others, you know, radio, uh, TV, uh, social media, the internet is, you know, one big category that they, that they, you know, kind of, 
group a bunch of things together in there. But uh, but newspapers are still pretty big. The the trend, however, is that it's becoming uh, less and less um, the the source of information. Do you want to do you want to yeah, reflect on that? Yeah, we we we've been headed here for a long time. You know, we've had twenty years now of our audiences becoming more and more fractionalized. Mm -hmm. um, social media, the internet, and other types of media have really become what we call disruptive technologies for the old standard newspaper, radio, or TV stations. Uh, there was a time when radio itself was a, was a disruptive technology, and then television was a disruptive technology for the newspaper business. So the newspaper business has been this old, established, way of communicating. From the time you're born to the time you die, your life will still be covered by the newspaper. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is, though, we're starting to see the effects of 20 years mm -hmm. of hammering away at the dominance of the newspaper, and we're also starting to see 20 years of a lack of really efficient response by the newspaper industry. Mm -hmm. the, the newspaper industry when it started seeing a decline in circulation, rather than, rather than see what the problem was, they started cutting staff, which is not what you do. That's not a smart thing to do. But nonetheless, they did it because they had to make ends meet. Um, the interesting result of that is that there is less and less and less local news in newspapers. And, and we see newspapers really in sort of a boilerplate format today, where there is a page one, maybe a page five or six that has local news in it, maybe a sports section with some local sports in it, and everything else is wire copy. Mm -hmm. And so it means then that there's very little opportunity for coverage of issues that are very important to people. And so that's kind of been a, a, a problem for things like, like health information because, you know, it's just one of those things that slips through the cracks. The other thing, though, that we're starting to see, and we have not seen it before now, mm -hmm. is the loss of newspapers in rural communities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the heart of any community is information. We're establishing a community right here on this podcast network because we all have a common interest. So we're building a community of followers. In any community, there has to be a communication source. In most towns, we find the newspaper has still filled that role. Even if the newspaper doesn't have a lot of local news in it, mm -hmm. it still is a central force of information in a community. Simple things. Who got born? <laughs> who passed away? Um, you know, what's going on at school? What's for lunch? What's for lunch? Even even the very worst newspapers will still have that information in it. And so when we start seeing communities where you can no longer maintain a newspaper, and we're starting to see that mm -hmm. in Kansas, um, and, and the interesting thing is we've always said, well, in rural communities, there's still a heavy preponderance of people 55 plus, and those are the people who read newspapers. Um, Any more, though, as we start seeing populations decrease due to people just dying off, if nothing else, then that population goes down, and all of a sudden we don't have sufficient numbers of consumers to maintain the cost of printing a newspaper. And see, on top of all of this is publication costs. Mm -hmm. Oil <laughs> is at the root of all evil, right? Mm -hmm. And so ink is an oil-based product. Um, paper is a wood-based product that's considered to be a perishable resource, and so the cost has gone up. The cost of maintaining a press, the cost of publication has continued to escalate to the point where newspapers have done about all they can do. They can get rid of their press crew and they can have their paper printed elsewhere, but you still can't decrease the cost of publication enough in order to make a profit. And so for a lot of communities, maintaining the newspaper is a very tepid proposition. Now, we're starting to see the use of the word news desert. Mm. News desert can be used for papers that have had to cut back on their staff. You know, it can be a, for a newspaper that just had to cut back on staff and you don't see as much local news in the paper. That means there's a news desert for certain types of information. 
or if we see a publication totally go out of business, then that is a real news desert. Um, I've been doing research in Baldwin City, Kansas. And Baldwin is a nice little college town in, in northeastern Kansas in southern Douglas County, um, a town of roughly 5,000 people when Baker University is in session. Last year, the Baldwin City Signal went out of business. And what we, what we have seen happen in Baldwin City, I think is probably going to be what we can forecast everywhere, mm. that everyone will have their own community of people that they're able to establish through social media <laughs> or email. I, as the superintendent of schools, for example, could be able to send out a message to all patrons of the district, but people in the rest of, of the community won't see that. Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I am somebody who is very interested in, in the library, and so the library has their own Facebook group, but the rest of the community doesn't see it. So pretty soon we start seeing communication become a splintered proposition in a community. And once we have that, then it's very difficult to get messages out to the general population. And that's a real problem for community planners. It's a real problem for uh, local government. That's a real problem for school boards. It's a real problem for churches in a community. It's a problem for everybody. So when you think about this, um, what, what you're kind of describing to me um, is the erosion of the community newspaper ultimately is, is um, impacting the cohesion of the community at large. So it's not simply a, a, um, a, uh, an unconnected um, bedrock institution. Mm -hmm. It has a fundamental ties to all of these other bedrock community institutions. And when you talk about the... Um, this kind of siloing of information, mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're, you're creating barriers to this community cohesion that would allow people to talk and circulate information um, even on a technical level. That's right. um, so this isn't even just you know discussing how we want things to look or imagining new spaces. This is simply just uh, making sure that people know what's going on in, in spheres that they might not have a connectivity to. Um, if you could tell us a little bit um, about um, so one of the things that I, I see this um, connected to is this um, this divestment from things that are public. Um, and so we're moving away um, from things that pulled people together. Um, you know, we used to share in watching new evening news programming, and there were a couple of options, and this is how most Americans interacted with information. Yeah. Um, same thing with a community newspaper. Same, same thing with your public school. Um, and we've seen this um, this kind of language shift to um, to a much more like individualized way of interacting with information, with education, with any sort of public services. Um, does this um, erosion of the community newspaper fit into this this kind of current logic of moving away from public goods? I think it does. Y you know, let, let me tell you a story. We were doing research in Greensburg, Kansas. Kansas State University and the A.Q. Miller School played a pivotal part in helping that community rebuild. And one of the facilities that was built in Greensburg was a multimedia production facility. And it was built in the same building that, that replaced the county extension office, the library, and the County Historical Society Museum. And upstairs, there's a television studio. And so one of the proposed products of this Kiowa County Media Center was a a open source community journalism project where people could provide news and information, photos. Anybody who wanted to learn how to run a video camera could go out and shoot video of the news event that they were attending and so on. We did focus groups in Greensburg to try to figure out how people would accept this proposed open source community information system. <laughs> And we're sitting there doing focus groups, and I said, I, I was asking questions about, well, w are you willing to learn the skills necessary to be a contributor? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm willing. We had everybody from young people to older people telling us that. Mm -hmm. And then we, and then I said, okay, are you, uh, how do you, how do you rate this system with the Kiowa County Signal, the local newspaper? Oh, we hate the newspaper. Hmm. We hate our, we don't like our publisher, da, da, da. 
I said, okay, now let me ask you a question. Someday, maybe the Kiowa County Signal won't be able to publish anymore. Would this system be a satisfying substitute for the local newspaper? And to a, to a T, everybody said the same thing. You, oh, you can't be much of a community without a newspaper. <laughs> You've got to have a newspaper. You see, social scientists have written that a, that a newspaper is kind of this fifth part of the public sphere in any town. You have your churches, you have your schools, you have your local government, you have your business community, and the newspaper is kind of there as an unofficial leader in the community. We expect our editors to do great things for our community. Our journalism school is, is, is named after a great newspaper editor in Belleville, Kansas, for example. And we expect those people to take on leadership roles. We expect that of broadcasters, and it's, it's actually federally prescribed in FCC law that a, that a radio station is going to have that kind of, of stature in a community. Same thing for television. So we look to the media as being this unifying source. And let's face it, I think we can all say it. We are a better town because every day at 1.30 the press rolls the Manhattan Mercury mm -hmm. office and here comes this centralized source of information for our community. And every day KMAN operates and they, and they, they turn out news for, for the community. We're a better off town because we have these, these advantages here. And so I guess my point is, my rant about community journalism always is that we have to have a centralized force of information. And when we don't, things go nuts as they're doing right now in Baldwin City, Kansas. Yeah. So there's, th there's a couple of things that come to mind for me. One is that, uh, you know, given sort of the trend towards, you know, newspapers disappearing or cutting back, um, you know, you might even say, that, like, not being as high quality, right? Um, and the, the increasing trend in, in whatever you want to call it, alternative sources of community mm -hmm. information, whether it be, um, you know, social media, the internet, uh, television, radio. Um, the thing, the thing that concerns me is that the newspaper is is pretty unique among all of those other sources of information, right? Like you can, um, you know, in in a in a thirty or sixty minute you know TV newscast, you you can only you can only fit in there, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe four or five uh, stories, and and maybe one or two of those like in in right. depth. Um, and in fact, most people only watch the news for like weather and traffic mm -hmm. and just, you know, whatever the major events are. They don't even, you know, they don't even look to those for, you know, all the different kinds of information that you could, that you could imagine, right? Like what's going on in government, what's going on in the schools and things. And so, so being the newspaper being this, this unique source of community information for me raises a question of, is there really another platform that could could be a, a an adequate substitute for that? I'm glad you asked that question because that's that's the that's the focus of my research. Mm. You know, one of the things we have to say, and this is one of the things we've established at the very beginning of this podcast, is the fact that there is not a shortage of demand for information. It doesn't mean journalism is dying. It does not mean journalism is dying. It means that the platforms are changing. And we are right now in the middle of this platform shift. And I think all of the entire industry is asking the same question. What's next? If it's not newspapers, then, then what is it? Now, I'm one of those people who believes there will always be a newspaper. And I believe as long as we have family-owned newspapers, <laughs> we're probably going to be better off. You know, we will still see some effort made to salvage the newspaper for the community. It's when you have big newspaper chains and decisions are being made by MBAs and not journalists mm -hmm. about the future of publications. That's when we start to see newspapers die mm -hmm. in, in rural communities or even in big cities. So as we go with this idea that there's going to be a paradigm shift, what is that going to be? Now, what's being proposed for Baldwin City is audio streaming with a companion website. 
audio streaming is going to be, I think, one of the big communications juggernauts of the next decade. Audio streaming's been with us for about 20 years. But all of a sudden, after we got copyright issues settled and things like that, one of the things we started seeing was a rise in independent audio streamers, people who are essentially simulating radio, but they're doing it without towers and transmitters, right? And so we're, we're starting to see a huge rise in audio streaming. So in Baldwin City, there is an entrepreneur named Jay Walks who is actually developing a radio station for that community that is a total online radio station. Mm -hmm. He's devised a music format that is appealing to people in the community. And he's over there right now selling advertising in Baldwin City for his combination audio stream website where he's taking the ability to do audio products and visual products together for, for, for that community. And so right now we're testing that out in Baldwin City to see how that works. It's a perfect test market for this. I just read something as I was fumbling through my iPhone here. Um, today uh, I just saw a, a new poll. This is by, by Bridge Ratings. This shows the amount of heavy podcast users has gone up greatly. <laughs> the number of podcast users who call themselves heavy users has gone up from something like 13% to 29% okay. in the last three months. Wow. And so people, again, there's not, a, there's not a shortage of people seeking information, and there's not a shortage of places to tell the story with alternative delivery platforms. The question is, whether it's Baldwin City Radio or whether it's here on this podcast, how do you build your audience to be that centralized force in the community. Yeah, that's one thing that, that I've been thinking about is, you know, is a, is a podcast, it, it, a lot of people listen to podcasts for different reasons, um, you know, part of which is, you know, getting information about, uh, you know, current events. But it seems to me that's, that's usually uh, information about events at like the national, or international. Content, like mm -hmm. content driven and. Right, right. So, so. Um, so the question pops up into my mind, and it sounds like what's happening in Baldwin is kind of along these lines: is you know, is live streaming or podcasting really going to uh, appeal to people as a source of information? And again, you know, it's 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 a it. Uh, I think it sort of fits the same kind of mold as like a TV station would, where you know, it's just it's not as an efficient way of delivering information as a newspaper is, where you can just. You can roll in, you know, 50 different stories into a newspaper every day, but in a one-hour podcast, I mean, we've been talking for what 30 minutes, and we've been talking about one thing. So, so there's <laughs> so it's just that there's trade-offs, right? Mm -hmm. And there's the the big trade-offs, and so, um, and this is this is actually one of the other concerns. We, you know, we'll take a we will be taking a little bit of a detour if we want to go down here, but the 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 local newspaper. Um, in the royal local newspaper, not not necessarily just Manhattan's, but um, you know, you mentioned some of the pressures that they're facing, and uh, you know, of, of you know, trying to figure out their costs, and you know, I, my sense is that they're becoming more and more reliant on advertising and less on subscriptions, uh, or at least print subscriptions, to help address that problem, um, and. And that this might be affecting the quality of the news that they're that they're sharing, and so what you see, at least locally, is more of these. I forget what the term was that you used, but boilerplate, like boilerplate, you know, on the wire news, mm -hmm. as opposed to what's actually going on in the community and serving all of the information needs across this fairly diverse uh, community here, and so, um, so, so. So yeah, I'm just I'm just aware of you know this 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 trade-off that that seems to be um, evident. Well, and I, I'd also interject that um, I think with that kind of point I made earlier about this this divestment or this moving away from the public, um, have we have we come to see newspapers and ha and do they see themselves in this community framework? 
Oh, yes, uh, very know, much. Like how do we sh shape or frame or use language to talk about the responsibility and the role and, and heighten that? I think the same debate is happening with schools, um, with much of the content and curriculum coming from external. Um, and there's a lot of tension there um, between, you know, local knowledge and kind of, you know, bright, shiny objects. Well, the, 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 the status, I think, of alternative news delivery technologies is the big question. Mm. You know, I asked in Baldwin City last week, we did four focus groups, and I closed out every focus group by saying, okay, you've looked at this idea, this idea of an audio stream providing the community's main source of information. Do you give this the same kind of status that you would give the newspaper? And to a T, you can just imagine how that broke down among older readers, older established people versus younger users. You know, young people, we, we think that young people don't read newspapers, and that isn't the truth. Mm -hmm. Young people read newspapers, but for them, it's part of a smorgasbord of information that they can get. Th it is, the newspaper has no greater or lesser status than does this podcast or any other form of information that they can get. Um, so young people are used to getting their information from a wide variety of sources. Mm -hmm. 55 plus people, it's not that way. And the older the demographic goes, the more they believe that any other type of information that they get is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. It has to be printed. It has to be something they can hold in their hand. They want to be able to cut out the picture of their grandkids winning an apple bobbing contest and put and, and putting it with magnets up on the refrigerator, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've grown up with the newspaper then being part of our inbred social interaction. And it's very hard to divest people of those habits. Uses and gratifications theory of mass communications basically says that we develop habits of, in this case, news consumption. Mm -hmm. And and when we break those habits, it's a very hard thing to do. That seems like it, it creates a um, sort of perverse incentive, actually, for local newspapers, mm -hmm. right? Like, if, <coughs> if they know that, um, you know, a for-profit newspaper, that is, you know, that the majority of their customers are, um, you know, this, this older generation and they don't want to, they're already in a bind financially. Mm -hmm. They don't want to risk losing more subscriptions because, you know, they appear to be biased or telling people something that they don't want to <laughs> hear. Um, then, then it's, it's sort of forcing in a way a newspaper to cater to one particular audience in the in the community would you would you agree with that I would agree with that sure I mean you're you're going to go to where your readers are mm -hmm. and most newspapers I think understand that a 25 year old is not going to be picking up the paper every day with bated breath trying to find out what's going on in the community mm -hmm. but when all of a sudden that person does have something they care about news-wise, local, local news-wise, mm -hmm. they will probably pay as much attention to that as will an older reader. Mm -hmm. But it happens so few and far between that those types of stories exist in local communities. Mm -hmm. What we find is that, that there is always an interest in local news. And so many times we find people who print newspapers almost seeing this responsibility to try to hold their town together we won't get that kind of, of dedication from other people mm -hmm. we, we 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 just won't um, a story of Humboldt Kansas uh, Humboldt Kansas the Humboldt Union went out of publication the Humboldt Union had been in publication ever since 1865 and the Union won the war and so we called the paper the Humboldt Union right went out of business and was out of business for two years, which gave us a remarkable window of opportunity to go in and study what happens when a town loses its newspaper. There, there's, a, there's a whole story to tell, and it's this type of news consumer, the older news consumer, that was relying on the Humboldt Union to print school news and church news and obituaries mm -hmm. and things like that. It was that consumer that was 
having the hardest time with it. We found that the union going out of business actually even had sort of a psychological impact on the community. Mm. It had a psychological impact. It gave the appearance that the town was dying, which the town is anything but dying. It mm. happens to be eight miles from Iola and seven miles from Chanute. Mm. And it's right there, and so many people who live in Humboldt either work in Iola or Chanute, but they can buy their homes cheaper in Humboldt. So Humboldt's population was actually growing. It was the fact that the business community was not growing, and there was a decrease in the amount of retail advertising available in the community, and so the Humboldt Union just couldn't, couldn't keep its doors open. Mm. Interestingly enough, there was a publisher from nearby Yates Center, Kansas, who found out that the people of Humboldt were just thrown into a tizzy because they didn't have a newspaper. And he said, well, if they want a newspaper that badly, I'll go publish a newspaper for them. So the Humboldt Union went back in business hmm. after a two-year hiatus. And it's interesting that everything was just fine in the community again. But we did focus groups down there, and one of the things we found was not only this idea that the town was dying, but also just practical things. Like, <laughs> how does this look to the outside world that we can't maintain a newspaper? We had a guy we interviewed who was with the Humboldt Industrial Development Association, and he said, well, you know, how do we, how do we attract industry? You know, how do we convince people this is a progressive town if we can't maintain a newspaper? Mm. Again, the social fabric of the community, and it's, that's a hard thing to break. It also seems like in in some of these communities, you know, there's it's not just like one newspaper either or one sort of source of community information that comes from a print, mm -hmm. um, you know, pr a, a whatever, a printed publication. Um, so, for example, I, kn I know that there are some others in Manhattan, but they tend to be sort of like niche. You know, newslettery. Yeah, newslettery, or, you know, there's one that's all about sort of like cultural and arts mm -hmm. events and those kinds of things. There's the Manhattan um, Magazine so and there's like some magazine. other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's, uh, yeah, so Manhattan Magazine. So there's so there's sort of like an ecosystem there. Is it, do, you, do you see it? Do you see one sort of possibility that the, that the, you know, as local newspapers, whatever that flagship newspaper is, might you know be sort of waning in circulation or breadth of content or depth of content? That do you see the ecosystem kind of adapting to that, um, or or is there, you know, are do people these different sources really just kind of stay in their in their corner and, and do what they do? Yeah, n niche news is always popular. Entertainment Tonight mm -hmm. is on every in every TV market, for example. That's that's a, that's a niche program. Niche news, uh, the Manhattan Magazine is a very good example of a publication that that covers the the arts and, and and the beauty of the area and so on. There is a, a newspaper in town that that appeals to a, a conservative ultra-conservative community. And so niche publications are always there. But I, I think they probably lack the credibility, if you will, mm. of, of the mainstream paper. Um, it's been a long time since we've had more than one mainstream paper in a community. Those days are mm -hmm. gone by about 30 years, I think, in most areas. And so we find only I think what two cities in the country that are still served by by more than more than Chicago and New York. Chicago and New York, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so and so now we really see a a a preponderance of other types of media coming up to serve a community. And I think most people have had the the idea that it's always going to be a printed publication mm -hmm. that allows you to reach the critical mass. I think a, I think a really good example is many big cities. There are publications that serve the alternative communities, uh, whether it be gay communities or or uh, transgender communities or whatever. There there is a a a belief that a publication is going to be the best way to get your story out into the mainstream. At the heart of every social movement, including this particular podcast. Absolutely. At the heart of every social movement is a core of thinkers who care and they want to get their story out into the community. And so this podcast is such a unique thing because it represents a non-publication way 
of being able to get the story out. Mm. And that, I think, is, is really interesting. And, and this is going to be a very, very interesting experiment because you're not relying on going out and taking a picture and slapping it on a, on a document and printing copies of it. Right. The, the other thing that occurs to me that you mentioned before, you know, what's happening, I think, in, in what, Greenville? Uh, Greensburg. Or Greensburg, uh -huh. um, that they're doing uh, the streaming. Mm -hmm. Is that the right? The same place? Okay. Yeah. So Video the streaming. The, mm -hmm. the streaming. And um, the, 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 amount, the sort of base level of skill and technology that it takes to do that, the, the threshold is just so low right now, right? Like, like you have everybody who has a cell phone can be uh, in Creates one content. form or, 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 right. or another c can create this content. They can be their, uh, you know, at, at least one source of community information. Um, and so this idea of a, I forget the, you know, what the, what terminology you use, but sort of like a, a mosaic or a open source mm -hmm. form of community information, although it, it sounded like it was kind of going, chan being all, all being channeled through one platform. Mm -hmm. Like that is that is really exciting. Are you uh, are you aware of other communities doing some version of that? And, and open sourcing has been going on for a while. It started in Bakersfield, California. The Bakersfield Californian was trying to figure out a way to serve this kind of semi-affluent northwestern part of the city. And Bakersfield is a city about the size of Wichita. And so they were. They, the Bakersfield Californian launched this open source journalism project where they employed two editors to edit the copy. But anybody could go cover anything that was going to be going on. Now the editors made sure that they covered school board, city council, and things like that. But what they wanted to do was to be able to get people's base, you know, baseball scores, little league scores, mm -hmm. which nobody has time to cover inside of the Manhattan Mercury newsroom, but everybody knows that's something that affects the life of every kid in the community, right? And so you're going to report that to in, in an open source manner. Now, we've always used open sourcing in the, in the media business. Mm -hmm. When you were born and, <laughs> and it was in the local paper, your, your folks put it in the paper, right? You know, and, and when I somebody... I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I, I was very young <laughs> at that time. But, uh, but, but, you know, and when we pass away, you know, now we've, we really reached the day where the funeral home provides the death notice, but the family provides the obituary. So we've always had open sourcing going on. It's just that, it's just that here we're starting to see publications and an entire system being built around open sourcing. Mm. And so it is a it's it's a very, very interesting idea. What's I been I the what's oh been the um, the response to that? Or oh the they've they've had a very good response with the open source Californian out there. Mm. Um, and the real issue though is I think I think it's a financial one, mm. you know. Do people respond well to news copy that's being provided by their friends and neighbors? And that is, that is the question. Now, you, you touched on something earlier that I think is really important, that as we see alternative media being launched in communities, it doesn't have the same status as the Manhattan Mercury because there is still one person in this town who owns a printing press and is able to print that press. In other words, the high cost of investment has really been the precursor to citizenship in local media. Let me give you an example. In Topeka, there is a, uh, an online radio station named for a station that once served Topeka. It's called renradio.net, W-R-E-N. was a station that, that began actually in Lawrence and later moved to Topeka and operated in Topeka until the 1980s, okay? So it's an old set of call letters that's very, very native to the city of Topeka. A guy in Topeka named Frank Chapin started renradio.net, which is a streaming channel. He has not spent one dime in the distribution of his product because it's all right there, available through streaming software. What he has been able to invest in has been the 
the computer automation system that programs his radio station. And so Frank is over there competing in the Topeka market with an audio stream. To put a station on the air today probably costs about $2 million, I would guess, probably for tower, transmitter, uh, the studio, the equipment, and so on, the facility. Frank's investment in renradio.net was $300. That's a pretty good deal. That's a really good <laughs> deal. And that shows the difference between the alternative platforms we're talking about and the, and the so-called price of citizenship in the journalism mascom community. Okay, now, Frank goes around to sell advertising in his radio station. You know what they tell him? All, all these people tell him? Well, that, you know, that's just a, that's just a website. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter that Frank's got about 30,000 <laughs> listeners per quarter hour, mm -hmm. and he has a worldwide audience that he's distributing his station to. He's got listeners in China and Japan and lot of listeners in Ireland who like American oldies, uh, top 40 oldies, you know, and, and he's doing very, very well in terms of listeners. Hmm. But it's this idea that it's something that anybody can do. And yes, I could spend the same amount of money and I could put an alternative channel on the air. You could spend the same amount of money and put, put an alternative channel on the air. So how do you gain that status? How do you gain that that respectability, that credibility. Interestingly enough, Frank has so many listeners to his station, he was approached by the Shawnee County Civil Defense System asking if he would participate in the weekly tests of the emergency broadcast system <laughs> and be a part of the emergency broadcast network even though he's not an actual broadcast station. So the formalizing of these relationships to non-traditional right. uh, mediums is mm -hmm. really fascinating. Isn't that something? Yeah. So it's sort of like, it sounds like a, a stigma actually that if you don't have a printing press, um, like you're not a legitimate. You're not a player. You're, you're not, not in the club. You're not a player. But mm -hmm. on its face, I mean, that just strikes me as a, a We're seeing all, absurd. This, all um, these rules being bent right now in so many ways though. Yeah. Well, um, the Kansas Press Association for years has tried to figure out how to deal with electronic newspapers because they're not really publishing anything, mm -hmm. even though they may have 10 times the audience that the actual printed publication has. And I the Kansas Association of Broadcasters, I, w I went to the KAB board meeting about two years ago to try to do a presentation for them because they were wondering how do you treat these, these upstart things, these audio services that call themselves radio stations. You know. So it's almost as if the community is, is as you said, um, constantly in, in, uh, in search of this information and has the kind of rapidity of pace to find it mm -hmm. um, and the kind of uh, organizational or uh, institutions that make sense of them are having trouble kind of keeping up. Um, we, we've been through it before. Sure. For example, FM radio. When FM radio came on the scene, it was just unbelievable the attitude that people had toward it. There were radio stations, uh, broadcasters would put FM stations on the air to do nighttime sports, for mm -hmm. example, and that's th that was their attitude as to the, the value of FM radio. I remember when, when uh, I was part of a group that put the FM station on the air in Clay Center, Kansas, and at that time, we had to make out a deal uh, with the local co farmers cooperative to provide what we, what we called tuners. These were things that would actually allow you to pick up the signal of KCLY and rebroadcast it on your car's AM radio just to be able to listen to the local station. And it took a long time for FM radio to get the same status that AM radio had in the community. Yeah. One of my favorite stories on the Kansas Association of Broadcasters, that organization used to be called the Kansas Association of Radio Broadcasters mm -hmm. because they didn't know what to do with television. And so, you see, we go through these cycles of adoption. Diffusion theory is, is pretty accurate here because it talks about how we will adopt, you know, certain types of, of, of innovations. And it takes a long time to be able to achieve citizenship status for, for any media. Well, and, and, and I guess one of the nice things about what you're doing is that you're historicizing and contextualizing this because um, we experience these moments as kind of um, 
existing all around us and they seem scary and uh, like a crisis and in some cases they are like when we talk about the erosion of community press in rural spaces or mm -hmm. our journalism deserts or news deserts um, but then th this is not um, as if you know the rise of one technology and the subsumption of another means that there's um, some peril at at the level of community. Um, it's just it, to me, it seems like we need to continue to have the conversation where we talk about this as community and the role that it plays. That's right. Um, especially in a moment where I think that um, media is on the, at least on like in the public consciousness um, is is being vilified in a lot of ways of like you know kind of. What is it? The the facts stuff, mm -hmm. like you know, all of this. All those pesky news. facts. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so get out of my news. So <laughs> so there's this yeah this vilifying of, of media, and and I think that um, one of the things that Brandon and I talk a lot about, like in this project, has been um, we need to 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 be able to shift people's imaginations a bit mm -hmm. to thinking um, instead of this kind of crisis or critique. Um, ultimately, the the um, opportunities for community like revitalization cohesion development that come through a lot of these things and that was really a, a key component to our on-the-fly development of this interactive um, technology while we were in in DC sure. is that this isn't about two individuals going and doing something and uh, you know taking a picture and sending it home yeah. it's about the the ways that that we're compelled to go do do something precisely because we want to have that conversation back with the people who want to have it mm. in the space that we occupy. That's right. Yeah. So, Stephen, there's a, a, a somebody who thinks a lot about community journalism um, and, you know, these different models of community journalism. What kinds of opportunities do you see for those, you know, those sort of new media um, sources of information in this community in, in Manhattan? I've got a management class I'm going to be teaching this fall, media management. And one of the things I'm going to have them do is design campaigns to help, and this will be in Baldwin City, Kansas, to, to help a, a, in creating a whole new habit for news consumption. How do, you, how do you change people's habits? One of the things we did in the focus group was show them how easy it was to download the Baldwin City Radio app. You know, they had their phones. I mean, wow, we can do this. You know, they, they, they were amazed. It, one of the things we have to overcome is, is technophobia on mm -hmm. the part of our population, and that's one of the things we were dealing with in, in, in the focus group. I think it's a matter then of, of establishing new sources of media for consumption. You know, for example, that your media consumption habits have changed drastically in the last 10 years. Mm. You have different different sources you go to every morning to get your news. You have different sources of information that you rely on throughout the day. They were not part of your habit then. They are now. And as Jess just said, it's it's a matter, I think, of time. It's a matter of, of having the credible services there, helping people understand their worth. And even though it's not something you can hold in your hand, it still gives you something that's very, very valuable, information that you need to know. Mm. So it, it's a matter, I think, of media organizations promoting usage. So this organization needs to promote the usage of this podcast, mm. period. <laughs> it's a matter of the podcast becoming something that people regularly tune to. Not that they won't do it. They will if they know it's there and if they're interested in the information. They'll do it. And we, we find that, in fact, the podcast audiences are very dedicated. Very, very dedicated. And they are very supportive of advertisers who, su who, who will advertise on a podcast because it's a dedicated audience. Right, right. And I know that they do advertising a little mm -hmm. bit different in podcasts. You yes. Know, you, the the, the it's actually done in in many cases like in a really informal in a kind discussion. of way. like we could talk mm. right now about about a sponsor about a sponsor mm. and just yeah. be like oh i love this place i just <laughs> had like the best coffee or the, the croissant or oh and their pie is to die for yeah exactly right it's a, but it's not a it's not a shift um to a commercial break but it's yeah it's embedded within and it's it's pretty slick i mean you listen to anything out of wbz and it's it's 
it's much better coming out of Ira Glass's mouth than it is out of you know your companies or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but I love it when like the podcast hosts like they know how <laughs> absurd it sounds. You know, they're just like, well, let's talk about envelopes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the the one about stamps. Stamps.com. Stamp. Yeah. Like that's when it's always like on a on a radio or a podcast. Right now. Because you can't advertise visual things on a podcast or you on the radio. It's that's much right. more difficult. But if you are good at describing, yes. Uh, the theater of the mind takes over. I was just gonna say this is taking the very best from what radio has taught us about communicating with audiences. The one on one aspect of communication. Right. And and that is what we have always preached about successful radio being able to reach people on a conversational basis and that that will always be the strength of uh, this particular service and one of the things that we kind of came to is that we you know we can pr present these these empirical or you know kind of wonkish technical discussions about you know what's happening and how people are relating to it but honestly um, people talking and, and telling stories mm -hmm. um, creates this just like visual and holistic picture um, that touches people. I mean, it's it's something that uh, transcends um, the medium. That's right. Um, and that's just, yeah, the stories we tell ourselves about the place that we share together. Yeah. Um, and that's really, I mean, that's kind of what our project is. And also, you know, shifting that to include more stories mm -hmm. from from um, what what is our community. That's right. One more thing on this advertising note <laughs> because I think it's so interesting. But like you know, we could you know as we're talking about you know the the conversation is really you know at the heart of of this community journalism. And you know if we were doing a podcast or uh, a radio show, and in the middle of it, you know we just start you know talking about a product or it, like it strikes almost anyone as sort of like really inconsistent Jarring. and you know kind of out of place right like if I ran into you on the sidewalk and we had conversation about something and I said oh by the way Jimmy John's <laughs> you know <laughs> blah 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 not yet not yet we gotta get him on we gotta get, <laughs> yeah, him, right, right, right. get him signed right but but more more or less the same exact thing happens in a in a different medium in a newspaper for right? sure. like here you are like this is this is a, a a place for a community conversation to occur and yet we're just gonna also throw all these you know sort of Phone advertisements at you yeah, yeah so what in between <laughs> while you're reading about what's happening you know in China's economy and what happened in the Little League game in Manhattan right you're gonna get like a barrage with a bunch of advertisements yeah, right. and it's just become a more normal experience it's just something that we we kind of have naturalized and right. accepted and oh my goodness well we're almost at an hour yeah we should uh, probably wrap up <laughs> we here. do want people to listen to us but I this has been amazing this is a wonderful I conversation love this open forum program man this is great yeah. we, don't, we don't have to stop after 30 minutes or after 20 minutes we can just keep on mm. talking if we want it was a great That's conversation nice. technology thank you so great. much thanks yeah Steven. yeah thanks so much for being here and yeah share with your friends yep.